Good morning. Someone says something like he's going to come and use his gifts to bless and serve you. I, I always feel in preaching like the little boy, Jesus about to feed the 5,000. I got a couple fish and a few loaves of bread. And I hope Jesus can take them and, and do something uh, great with them, more than I could do on my own. But I appreciate that, Paul. When Paul asked me to preach today, he, of course, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and he he said, well, you're going to be in Matthew 22, so you don't have to preach the whole passage. Just pick any text from it and, and go with that. Your choice. So I said, okay. I started reading through the chapter. <clears throat> and first I came across this uh, kind of difficult parable that ends with the, the line, many are called, but few are chosen. And I thought, that sounds tough. I think I'll leave that one for Paul um, <laughs> to cover someday. I kept reading, and then I came upon this conversation between the Sadducees and Jesus about marriage and the resurrection. It's based on this Old Testament law where if your brother, die, your, your brother, your brother dies, um, it's your responsibility to help his wife have children, carry on the family name. Your sister-in-law. I thought, I'll leave that one for Paul <laughs> to cover someday. And then I came across the passage about paying income tax, where Jesus famously says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And I thought, no, this could be perfect. It, it's tax season. Um, in fact, your tax return is due tomorrow. And how relevant could that be? I know we have a few tax people in here who would probably be excited about a message on that. Uh, but then I kept reading, and I came upon the great commandment, which we find in Matthew 22. And I thought, if we're going through a whole series in the Gospel of Matthew, I think we should touch on the great commandment. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, it's not easy to preach on this, though. It's, it's, in one sense, it's easy. It's pretty straightforward. I think we all know it. If I asked you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, what is the, the greatest commandment you could tell me? Um, but it's just so, so familiar. And often what uh, is familiar, we can just tune it out so easily. I mean, we know it, but it's hard to feel the impact of it. In a sermon, or if you're meditating on it in your morning devotions, or in a small group. So that's the challenge. Even uh, with something as critically important as the great commandment. And it is very, very important. And, and that's an understatement. But it is central, and not just to the Christian life, to our very existence. And the reason why Jesus came and died an atoning death to save us and rose from the dead to give us new life is to bring us back to this, our created purpose. To love God with all our being, to love our neighbors as ourselves, truly and deeply. World without end. This is why we were made. So how's that going for you? Are your affections burning with white hot desire for God? Is your mind constantly consumed with the glory and the works of God? Are you 
continually asking, what is God's will for my life in this area, that area? Do you wake up every day, head into your day and through it, looking for every single opportunity, eager for every chance you get to share the radical love of Jesus with the people you meet? If you, if you answered yes uh, to all the above, you are dismissed. <laughs> You're done. For the rest of us, let's not flog ourselves. If you're here and you're a Christian today, you love God. You love your neighbor. But we can do this uh, to varying degrees. And it can reach to more or less areas of our lives. And even as Christians, long-standing, and you love I don't want to Throw this on everybody. Your love may be really rich and strong today, but it's also possible it happens that we, we get turned inward rather than upward and outward. So it's good, even with a passage so familiar as the great commandment, to come back and hear Jesus calling us back to what is really at the heart of human life as God designed it. Again, we're not here to guilt trip. I don't think Jesus wants to guilt trip us or to lay a burden on us that's heavy and that we can't carry. But let's just say there's room for growth. And, and thank God, there's grace for growth. So return to this familiar passage. We want to see the priority. You're reminded of the, the priority Jesus places on this love. Hear him talk about the measure of this love. And lastly, I want us to return to the source of this love. With the prayer that our, our love for God and others, wherever it's at, that it could be awakened, that it could be rekindled, that it could be deepened. So in the first place, we see Jesus reminding us through this great commandment of the, the absolute priority of love in the Christian life. In Matthew 22 here, Jesus, he's been having a long day at work. People, Pharisees, Sadducees, these teachers, they, they keep coming to him and asking him these questions. They're trying to, to trap him in some self-incriminating words, and he keeps answering their questions in, in ways that kind of they weren't expecting, and often keep, it shut their mouths and make them look pretty foolish. They come and ask him this question, one of their lawyers, an expert in the law of Moses, he asks him this question, which was a, a, a live debate that, that rabbis debated in, in that day. What is the, the greatest commandment? Is there one? Can you say that? Is there one law, of all the 613 laws, is there one law to rule them all? One law to bind them? It's a fair question, and I don't know what the trap was. I don't know what they were expecting Jesus to say. That could be self-incriminating here. But anyway, they ask him, and he just gives a straightforward answer. He doesn't throw one of his mysterious answers on them at this time. He's asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He says, the first and greatest, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then it, it ends. There's no controversy that follows up. In fact, in Mark's telling of it, the lawyer, he commends Jesus. He's like, yeah, you, you nailed it. You got it. Jesus encourages him right back. It's kind of a, a nice little exchange they have. But that doesn't happen. Matthew leaves that part out. Jesus simply has the final word here. Love is the heart of the law. Because Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on these Love is the heart of the law. Jesus is here citing Deuteronomy 6, 5, the Shema, the call of Israel. To this day, in the Jewish prayers that begin and end the day, the prayer begins with this call. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Sometimes it's added all your strength. And then he cites Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And even though he's reaching further down in the law, which started back in Exodus with the Ten Commandments, to, to find these single commandments that bind the whole, this is built into the law from the very beginning. The Ten Commandments are all about loving God and loving neighbor. The first four are about loving God. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy and so on. Those are ways of loving God. And then commandments 6 through 10. You shall not covet, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Those are all ways of loving your neighbor. And then the other 603 commandments that follow are all ways of fleshing this out in detail. And really all the rest is detail. They're details. Really important details. The details nonetheless, because every single law, every single commandment in law boils down to love for God and love for neighbor. They're talking about the law of Moses. We don't live under the law of Moses. Jesus came to fulfill the law. But of course, the great commandment, when the early disciples knew that Jesus was giving the church the great commandment to be the, the, the high priority in our lives. And this is true, and I'm not going to spend a bunch of time citing verses, because I don't think I have to convince you of that today. You can read this in Paul, and in James, and in John's letters. You'll find them really citing, particularly the second commandment, and saying, this is a summary of everything we're teaching. We don't live under the law, we live by the gospel, but there's all kinds of ethical exhortation and, and teachings about how to walk with God in the New Testament. And even here, it all boils down to love. All the specifics work out love for God and love for neighbor, neighbor. It's at the heart of human life as God has designed it. It is an absolute, our absolute priority. We throw terms around like that a little carelessly. See some new series on Netflix and you say to your friend, it is absolutely amazing. Which, strictly speaking, is not true. Might be good, might be really good, might be great. But we can truly say and be technically true, love is our absolute priority in the Christian life. It's what our faith boils down to. Again, there are lots of details in our, in our walk with God and relationships with others. The Bible teaches us, the New Testament teaches us about how to pray and how to worship God. How to honor God with our speech, how to handle our money, how to be good citizens. 
teaches us our, our ethics, our forgiveness and generosity, how to serve one another, how to be married faithfully, how to be single faithfully, how to pay your taxes. But all these, again, are bound together by love. They're all outworkings of love. And we have to relate it all back to this heart of the matter. So when the heart is, is tuned to love, then our obedience follows. And when the heart is not tuned to love, and we hear God calling us to do something, in our walk with Him, in our inner relationships with others, if the heart's not tuned to love, we might just hear those as, as dutiful obligations we have to carry them out. It can end up being just a... Empty religion, going through the motions, the heart's not in it, or we just might not engage in the action at all. Just completely drawn back into ourselves. But love motivates us to, to fulfill these exhortations the right way. Just think about Sabbath, for example. We don't live under the law of Moses. We don't live under a law of Sabbath. But let's say we accept there's a principle of Sabbath woven into the fabric of creation. We observe the Lord's Day, maybe not with like legalistic regularity, but maybe it's a regular pattern. Anyway, you can approach that and say, well, you know, Pastor Paul said I shouldn't work on Sundays. I should take it off. He tells us every week, go enjoy the day with your family and friends. I guess that's what I have to do. But you can also receive that and say, God's a wonderful creator. He's given me this gift you know, I can enter into this day. I can trust him. I can trust that if I take a day off, he's got everything in his hands and he's going to enable me to do everything on the other six days that I need to do. And he's given me this day to enjoy him and to go and enjoy my friends and my family. I don't have to receive that as some duty. But this is a way I can love God. See, you hear that command totally different when your heart is thinking about interpreting it through the lens of loving God with your neighbor. Think about something like coveting. Yeah, it's from the Decalogue. It shows up a lot in the New Testament in various ways too. We're not supposed to covet. Don't covet. Don't covet what's your neighbor's. I can covet what's my neighbor's. I don't really care about cars. I care about houses that much. The law says don't covet your neighbor's oxen. I care about, well, I love animals, but I've never coveted anybody's ox. But I scroll through social media like once every two months and you see your friends or family's carefully curated lives. The odd person's coming on blue, but most people are just presenting their best self and it's easy to start coveting certain things, details of their life, what they're doing, the vacation they're going on. And I'm not supposed to covet though. So I can tell myself, don't covet, stop that. Don't want that. There's not a lot of power in that though. It's better to just say, you know what? I, I do want that. It's part of me that wants that. But I want to love my neighbor. I don't want to be jealous of him. I don't want to want to take what's theirs and have it for myself. That's what's going to give me the power and the right motivation to not covet. And you could apply this and ought to to every single exhortation you'll ever hear in your walk with God and walk with others. Read it all. Process it all through the lens of love. Will completely change your motivation for obedience in the way that Jesus wants it to. 
Love's our absolute priority. We, we, you know, we do church, talk theology, argue with politics, and debate what's going on in, in culture, all well and good in their place. But remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. You can do it all. You can have all knowledge, fathom all mysteries. You could give your very life for a good cause. And you don't have love, he says, it is, it all amounts to nothing. That's radical. That's why we use the word absolute priority. Without love, it's, it's nothing. Love's not the cherry on top of the Christian life. It's the whole thing. We know this. We, we know it. Theory. We do know it in practice. We need to keep working it out and living into it in greater degrees in practice. Jesus wants us to keep the main thing the main thing. And note how he doesn't just speak of one love, not just one dimension. This is important to emphasize too. There's a twin focus to love here. It's for God and it is for neighbor. He, he binds these two together. There's a priority sequence to them. The first really is first. It really is greatest. Your relationship with God. The second is second. But they belong together. You can't tear them apart. Well, you can. You can have a kind of zeal for God. But you're pretty cold towards others. Or you can have a, a, a commitment to your duty. Go to church. Tithe. Pay my taxes. I don't cheat my wife. Pretty cold in the heart towards God and towards others. You can be really centered on other people and, and loving them. You have a big heart for people that push God off to the side. God might even be seen as a hindrance to the love for other people. Jesus brings these together in an integrated way. What God has joined together, let us not separate. We love God and we love neighbor. And he gives a standard or a measure for each. He shows the radical measure that each of these loves is to take. The call to love God is to do so. He didn't just say, hey, everybody, love God. That's, we developed church mission statements that say, like, we exist to, to love God and love others and serve the world. It's good to have a nice, concise statement like that. But he actually says more. And he doesn't just say, love God a lot, love people a lot. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. We could add all your strength. We could parse this all out and all the to like all the different dimensions of our personality. It is good to think through it like that too, in a sense, but it's a literary device. It's a way of saying love God with your whole being, to bring every part of your life in light of your relationship with God, and in terms of like degree of intensity in each area, with all that you are, love God. The contrast to this would be uh, we holding back parts of your life, holding back in that degree of intensity. Maybe having some affections for God, but not you know, 
lukewarm rather than quite hot, or you're yielding part of your life to God. Like, yeah, I can participate in church, I'm faithful to my wife, but I can kind of handle my money alone. That's for me. Maybe you like to think about God a lot, really love God with the mind, but you're not cultivating a deep spirituality, a deep personal close walk with God. Maybe the flip is true. Would you like to get out in the woods and think about or like talk to God or just be out in nature connecting with God, but there's not a lot of concrete, deep knowledge of God in which you're growing. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Let's learn to love God with every part of ourselves. And in deeper and deeper and deeper ways. And the measure of our love for neighbor is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, self-love is not commanded here. It is assumed. And I think when we hear that, love your neighbor as yourself, we think, well, self-love, that's just an inherently bad thing. And they're assuming it, saying, well, you shouldn't love yourself, but you do. So take a little bit of that and share it with your neighbor, at least. But there, there's a healthy, proper self-love. That's just a normal part of human development. And when your identity is right and secure in Christ, there's, there's a way to rightly love yourself. And we care for ourselves. And we seek our own good. Jesus is saying, turn that desire to your neighbor as well. I'm not saying neglect yourself, but get outside yourself and share that love. Direct it to your neighbor. We have neighbors, family, church, on your street, work at school, the gym, grocery store, the coffee shop, neighbors all over the place in all kinds of different ways to love them. Some of them we have deep affection for, some of them not so much, yet we can love them all, not hurt them, pray for people, serve them in practical ways, show kindness to the person serving coffee. Remember years back, I was in a coffee shop with a wonderful elderly Christian uh, friend of mine. He was a great man, very generous, very kind. And we're sitting in this coffee shop, standing in line at a coffee shop, having a great conversation about things of God. And then we get to the counter, he turns around, he orders this coffee for us. He was buying me a coffee, generous guy. And he could not have been more rude and curt with this poor uh, young uh, person serving coffee. I just thought, what a... Strange paradox there. And as I was to, preparing to share this, and I thought, oh, I'm tattletailing on another guy and making myself look like the good guy. I wouldn't do that. And then day or two later, at work, I try to be a nice, friendly, polite, courteous person. But someone caught me at a bad moment and said something I don't think they should have said, but I reacted in a curt, kind of not most loving way. Not perfect. Can we grow from these things? Can we learn from them? The contrast of loving somebody as yourself is, is really just turning inwards and being focused on yourself. There, there's a world, people all around us in our day, such epidemic of anxiety and depression and loneliness. We are experiencing these things too. Like, I need your love, neighbor. And I want to love you. And let's look up see the need all around us and love people with the love of Christ. Now, I think, I think we know what we're supposed to do. 
know, what it's supposed to look like. We've been talking a little bit about that this morning. There's a whole lot more we could say. I had to cut a ton of stuff out of this. It's familiar, it's simple, but there's so much to it. But how do we get it into our hearts? Like, it's not going to work to just walk out of here and say, I'm supposed to love God with all my being and love my neighbor as myself. Go. It's not a matter of sheer willpower and resolve. No. Our love comes from somewhere. Really just get right to the heart of the matter here. The Bible, because the New Testament is so clear on this. We love because God first loved us. That is where true, deep Christian love comes from. When you experience God's love, you in turn love God, and that flows out to other people as well. I love how the Apostle John puts it. He says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, so we ought to love one another. You grow a heart of love by growing deeper into the gospel. We sang that song at the beginning, Amazing Grace. I thought, it's when you, you sing a song like that, and you have your songs for your life, hear the message, but then you think of your experience of that gospel message, and you, you read your story into the gospel story. You see how God has saved you in Christ, how he wanted you to be with him, and he saved you in Jesus. So as you live at the foot of the cross, not in self-loathing, self-deprecation, but humbled in with this exalted freedom, knowing God saved you, wanted you in his family, and made you an heir of all things in Christ. When that is in your heart, you love God. This is why when we're new in the faith, we're often full of love, because all these gospel realities are fresh for us. Life happens. Time elapses. Yeah, the fires can die down. Heart can get a little cold, but it can be rekindled. You get back into those songs. You you go deeper into the gospel. You live in that place of knowing God's grace for you. And then you won't be wrestling to get motivation to love God and others. His love will be in your heart. It will be propelling you outwards. This is a commandment. Love God. Love others. It's an exhortation. Jesus, this is the good way. It's good for you. It's good for others. Walk in it. This is an invitation. This is the good life. This is what you were made for. It's not always an easy life, but this is the path to a life of fulfillment, a life of joy. This is the good way. So in the love of the Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit, let's follow Jesus and walk in it. Let's pray. We ask, Father, that you would strengthen our spirits by your Holy Spirit, fill us with the love of Christ, that we would know the height and depth and length and breadth of your love for us in Christ, that we would learn in small ways and in increasing ways, to love you with every part of our being, with everything we have, and truly
freed up by you to look outside of ourselves and love everybody we meet. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.